This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Friday, the 21st of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, a recent outing attack on gay men in Morocco has placed many in extra vulnerable situations, especially during COVID-19. We have a report from Morocco. And we speak to Green Senator for Victoria, Janet Rice, about the Greens' plan for the economy and how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting LGBTIQA plus communities and the Greens' plan to help them. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Friday the 29th of May. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says a trans-Tasman travel bubble could realistically become operational by September, though no specific dates have been given. Ms Ardern has been in semi-regular contact with Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison as both leaders are keen to open up the border to increase trade and tourism. There has been no movement on state borders though, meaning travel to New Zealand may be a reality for Victorians before travel to New South Wales or WA. Bosses of some of the largest drug companies in the world remain cautiously optimistic that they will produce a COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the year. But a shortage of vials will make distribution difficult. Currently, companies can only produce 5 billion doses a year, but 15 billion doses will be needed to ensure everyone is able to access the vaccine. The industry is working with international bodies to ensure doses produced are fairly distributed across the globe, but some countries are beginning to play politics, raising fears that favouritism will be shown to those with power. American President Donald Trump has promised his people a vaccine by the end of the year and has already funneled half a billion dollars to the company that's furthest along in vaccine testing. Queensland is reporting no new cases of COVID-19, even after the testing blitz in Blackwater and Rockhampton prompted by the positive test of a nurse and a death of a 30-year-old man. It's been found the nurse travelled to Kuala Lumpur in March, something which was not disclosed in initial questioning, and she travelled to Blackwater after 14 days of self-isolation. She tested positive a month later. The circumstances surrounding her case and the case of the 30-year-old man remain a mystery. Despite the easing of restrictions in Victoria from the 1st of June, the Victorian government is telling people who can work from home not to return to the office until at least July. The stay-at-home directions will be amended on Monday to say people who have been working from home throughout the pandemic must continue to do so. These directives are hoping to keep public transport use and foot traffic in public areas down, allowing a better chance that the four-square-metre rule can be adhered to. A Victorian high school student has tested positive for COVID-19. Keelor Down Secondary School in Melbourne's northwest has now been closed for deep cleaning. The student is being associated with a previously known family cluster linked with six other cases. Health authorities are investigating where the family contracted the virus. Students who shared a class with the infected student are now self-isolating as it is likely the student had the disease when they returned to school on Tuesday.
This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. A recent outing attack on gay men in Morocco has placed a lot of gay Moroccan men at risk of violence amidst the COVID-19 crisis. The attack happened on gay dating apps like Grindr and Romeo, where hundreds of men had their identities publicized. Homosexuality is currently criminalized in Morocco, and many of these men have found themselves with very few safe places to turn to. To find out what's happened and where the Moroccan gay community is at right now, Nicholas Kamenir-Sandri from The Informer spoke to a representative of Nasawiyat, a group focused on LGBT advocacy in Morocco. Now, this story does have some mentions of suicide. There are resources that if you'd like to access, they're on joy.org.au slash support. Lifeline is always available on 13, 11, 14, and QLife 3 p.m. to midnight. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and they're on 1-800-184-527. In Morocco, uh, to have same-sex relationship is criminalized. What happened lately is that there were a trans woman influencer. Uh, she's living in Turkey. And she's Moroccan and she's living in Turkey. Uh, her name is Sofia, Sofia Taloni. And she were broadcasting uh, live as on Instagram. And her lives were so famous that she were re- reaching maybe 100k uh, of views. So yeah, on her lives, she were uh, she, she's openly she's openly gay and trans on the social media, and she's openly giving her uh, if we can call it so that name. Uh, so people so people attack her a lot in the comments and stuff. But at the beginning, she's she invites people to come to talk in her lives, and she's she were outing him outing them. Uh, this this at, at the beginning was it's with con- it's with their consent, but then uh, when uh, people began to attack her, attack her about uh, about this and about talking about speaking about homosexuality in the, in her lives and stuff, she just gets so angry and starts saying that I'm not I'm not the only one that exists this way in Morocco. If you want to check, you will find your husbands, your brothers your your cousins even your fathers that are maybe uh, gays or having uh, homosexual uh, sexual relationships and stuff and if you want to find this you can go and check those uh, date applications like uh, Grindr uh, Romeo and all those uh, dates homosexual dates applications so that's what people did like a bunch of uh, women uh, created uh, accounts uh, on this applications and just started to screen take screenshots of of the pictures of the people that are on those this applications and put the, the, the put the images on on, uh, on Facebook groups Instagram and everywhere so yeah that's what happened so just to be clear um, if I've got the story right, um, this trans woman influencer wasn't directing people to go and out gay men on social dating apps. She just, in a moment of frustration, said that 
you know, there are tons of gay men on these particular apps and you can find them everywhere just as a moment of frustration. And then that gave some uh, women uh, the the idea to go on the dating apps to see which men close to them were using these apps. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. And uh, she, she was, she, yeah, it, it was not intentional, in my opinion, I think it wasn't intentional. It was just in a moment of frustration, but it wasn't, well, it was dangerous. It was so dangerous to do this. I mean, maybe if it wasn't intentional, but it was really dangerous to do it. Uh, because you can't give uh, those names of the applications, even if they are public and anyone can reach them, but you can't just give these names like this to in a live broadcast of one uh, 100k for uh, view, viewers. So, what kind of danger does this put um, gay Moroccan men in? Because homosexuality is criminalized over there, but also it's a very conservative culture, socially conservative. So what kind of danger are gay men in and are they managing to avoid it? And if so, how? So Morocco is is a country that is, yeah, conservative, but the homophobia and transphobia that exists in Morocco exists pretty everywhere uh, because of the patriarchal uh, system. But then uh, what happened in Morocco lately, this campaign of outing, uh, this what happened, two people uh, committed uh, suicide uh, because they were afraid that their their families will know. Lots of other people were uh, get uh, out from their houses. Especially that we are in a special moment. It's moments of lockdown, a moment of where people can't just go and do whatever they want in the street or just change their houses or go to, to friends or something because we, we, we can't go out. We can't change houses and stuff. There were lots of violences, uh, lots of people that get hurt and get afraid again and again uh, because they are afraid that their families will know. Uh, yeah. This is what happened, so unfortunately... uh... Has anything happened to kind of stem the damage, to try and prevent or repair damage that's been done to the gay community in Morocco? Okay, uh, so yeah, uh, as... uh as collectives and organizations uh, we tried to do a lot of work about this uh, as necessary yet we uh, put a psycho- a psychologist uh, help for free to people uh, online so anyone who needs a psychologist uh, can uh, contact us uh, also we worked on a raising awareness campaign uh, that we called uh, in Arabic it, it means did you know and we are trying to um, to give right words and right uh, definition of what is the uh, LGBTQ community in Morocco what is the gender what is the sexuality and all those stuff so that people because right now the debate is open and it's the, it's the time to to talk to the people about the right things. So we, we try to work about this. Uh, also, uh, we are trying to get funds to help people that that are put out of their houses or uh, the people that are in need, especially now that there is no work, no uh, nothing. So yeah, that's what that's what we what 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 we do we did. So now and we are still 
still, I'm still working. It's just, uh, just one of uh, a lot of things that we are projecting to do. Just a reminder, if you were affected by anything mentioned in this story, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or QLife from 3 p.m. to midnight Australian Eastern, San- Australian Eastern Standard Time on 1-800-184-527. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're in a huge economic transformation right now, and there's many competing theories on what's going to happen. One of the ideas has come from the Australian Greens, and I spoke with Senator Janet Rice about what the Greens' plan is for our economy. Well, I think perhaps one of the things that's on everyone's mind is what's happening with our economy. And the Greens have a plan. What is the plan? Well, we basically, in this, you know, dealing with the COVID crisis, we see it as being essential that we need to have massive government investment to get us out of the recession that we're heading towards. And in some ways, it's an opportunity to be tackling COVID, but at the same time, tackling our inequality crisis and our climate crisis as well. And it's, you know, the, the implications of not doing this are just mind-boggling. I mean, because of COVID, we've got something like between 14 and 26% of people that are currently out of work. Um, and we know that if we allow that to continue, that we're just going to spiral into, you know, some really economic hard times. Um, just so the government's got a choice. <laughs> but if you could continue about how the government needs to... Uh be clear about their priorities, I think. Yeah, so so basically we've got to make sure that first, obviously, that we invest so that we can you know, deal with the health crisis, the immediate health crisis and making sure that all the measures are in place, you know, investing in trying to get a vaccine, investing in our public health system, inve- investing in, in preventative health measures as well so that people are as well as they possibly can be. Um, but then it's saying, well, what are we going to do, given that we have got these sort of massive levels of impact on, on jobs? And there are just huge opportunities for government investment that would really sort of kickstart the economy and help us get through it. And really, you know, there are there's investing in, um, in, a, in a massive investment in our health, our education systems um, and, um, and in renewable infrastructure massive investment in in things like um, in housing for example so our, our plan includes of investing in 500,000 um, community and social housing units which is what we need to tackle the homelessness crisis and so it's basically saying this is what we can be doing in order to, to be getting the economy back on track mm. and what are some of the the opportunities that that the greens are trying to promote well, look, um, I mean, if you go back to, you know, who those 14 to the 26% of workers are, mm-hmm. they are overwhelmingly young people. They are overwhelmingly people that are, say, working in hospitality and in tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to work at all one of the sort of jobs that they, they could be doing. So we, what we're going to be doing is to be saying the government should be offering young people in particular so their jobs and income guarantee. And so that saying there will be a job for you or you can be studying or you can um, have a really, you know, a, a reasonable income if the circumstances aren't right for you to be either having a job or income. So that's sort of maintaining the, the levels of the revised um, job 
seeker allowance, so retaining mm-hmm. that at, it, at its current levels. And so basically saying, we're not going to let all of you young people fall off a cliff. We're going to make sure that those jobs are, are there for you. And they might be jobs in, you know, government-supported manufacturing, but also in environmental rehabilitation. And in the arts is another, you know, massive um, industry that's been hard hit, and particularly, you know, for our joy and joy audience. I'm sure that there are so many people working in the arts who are now sort of working, thinking about what's the future. And so, you know, we've got a, an arts um, program that would say that investing a billion dollars in Australian content and so it's in the film and television industries that actually really um, encouraging the investment in, in Australian um, in Australian films and TV, which at the moment is, you know, really continuing to be under threat. Um, investing a billion dollars in um, planning and executing live performance. And obviously, you know, live performance <laughs> is, is currently under COVID is, is, is a real struggle. Mm. But look, we are going to be, you know, loosening up and we've got to work out what sort of live performance is going to be possible without having, you know, crowds of hundreds of thousands, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people all together. There are massive opportunities for live performance. And so actually, you know, giving the opportunities for artists to continue and the support crews to continue to be in work and mm-hmm. building our you know arts and cultural richness through doing that and we've also got a program which we think is a, a real go and that's creating an artists in schools program which would be of such benefit to every school in the country so that would be spending 300 million dollars to be putting an artist in every school and you know sort of creating work for those artists creating that engagement and really sort of providing a you know such a rich environment for every school in the country to be able to access access an artist. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, the massive increase in, in health services, for example. And we know, again, you know, with a, our LGBTIQ audience, at much greater risk of mental health issues and really a lot of people struggling through the, mm. the isolation of COVID-19 or supporting those health services. Now, we've been calling out for, for big increases in mental health services for, you know, years, if not decades. Now's the time to be spending that money and actually sort of getting all of those services in place. There's just, you know, so much opportunity mm. um, of, of work that could be done that would be benefiting society, that would be creating creating jobs and really getting our community, you know, through this crisis. And the Greens kind of have an issue with the head of Vic Forest, if I remember correctly. Well, yes. <laughs> well, in fact, I mean, Vic Forrester basically just, you know, in charge of, of damaging and destructive logging, um, which is having a massive impact on, on the, both the, the animal species that live in those forests, but also the, the well-being of the communities that live around them who don't, you know, who want to see their forests protected, who see the fact that they have been um, really severely damaged by logging operations and we subsidise it. So it's exactly, it's the sort of thing that for us as Greens, we say, well, why aren't we making the investment to actually improve the health and vitality of our forests? We don't need to be logging them for timber because already almost 90% of the wood that's produced in Australia comes from plantations. So that's another area we say, yes, you know, put that investment in to be supporting the development of plantations and farm forestry and supporting farmers to be growing trees on their land Mm -hmm. and leave our native forests for their wildlife, for water, for tourism, for for soaking up carbon as well. Um, But that seems to be a 
well, I mean, we keep on pushing that. And there was a, a really important um, federal court finding um, two days ago that basically just underlined the level of damage that's being done in our forests. Here is an opportunity. You know, we've got mm -hmm. this crisis on us at the moment. It's an opportunity to be tackling not just, you know, the economic recovery that we need to have out of, out of COVID, but also to be tackling our environment um, crisis as well and to be, you know, creating a, a lasting environmental legacy for future generations. Mm. Um, to change tax a bit, I, I know it's always scary, um, there's just <laughs> been some really interesting news that some of the letters between the Governor General and the Queen around the dismissal can now be opened up to um, a, a, a researcher at the National yes. Archives. Uh, you know, you've been involved in politics for, for quite some time. Um, wh what do you think about this? Oh, look, I think it's an incredibly important high court finding that we've yes, it's just come through this morning. Mm. Um, really important for transparency. I mean, obviously, the dismissal of the Whitlam government was you know, the biggest upset and challenge to our democracy, I think, you know, throughout all Australian, you know, um, since Federation. And to know what the role of um, you know, to have more insight into what the role of the Queen um, and the, you know, the, the 200 letters that Sir John Kerr as Governor-General wrote to the Queen, I think it's going to be a, a really, there's going to be some bombshells in there mm. and and really important for our, for us to be looking at that and thinking about our future as a, as a democracy and whether there are changes that we want to make into our constitution to make mm. sure that things like the dismissal, you know, can't happen again. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think there is an appetite. Not that my opinion matters, but <laughs> I think there's an appetite, <laughs> or I think people are starting to understand why there may need to be some constitutional change or something like what Victoria did. Um, so, like around health, obviously having this state-based system has been really confusing for a lot of people because what happens in Queensland and then what happens in New South Wales, you know, ten k's apart from each other, are totally different things, and it's. I've personally found it really hard to understand the messaging until it gets pushed to me like through a government ad or something. Um, and so thinking about Victoria and how if I remember correctly, the parliament essentially delegated all industrial, all industrial relations stuff to the federal government. I mean, instead of changing the constitution, that might be an approach um, for yeah, well, individual states to take to delegate some of the health things federally. Certainly, the yeah the relationships and and what happens at federal levels of government, what happens at state levels of government, um, there's a lot of room for for improvement there and for better collaboration. In fact, that's one of the things that's come out of COVID. You know, setting up sort of the national cabinet of actually having state the state and the federal governments working more closely together, I think, has been a really positive thing. Um, but you know, the the big issue I think um, that's going to come out of the release of these letters between Sir John Kerr and the Queen is just, you know, what the fact that the Queen, you know, in the United Kingdom is still officially our head of state. Mm. And and for our, you know, a modern multicultural Australia, I think that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and and I think that, you know, actually sort of changing our constitution so and us becoming a, a republic so that we are actually in control of our own destiny rather than it being a sort of hereditary monarch who's, you know, over there in the United Kingdom, most people don't feel that there's any connection, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. between Australia and the United Kingdom, I think is long overdue. Mm. Yeah, and that is really interesting. Um, and I, I think we'll see a reckoning when the next monarch 
takes over depending on who that is. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so you're very well connected in the LGBTIQA plus community. What are some of the things that you're, that you're hearing that people need and what's working really well for others? Look, I think people are really struggling with the, the physical isolation. And so I think that we need to be clearly sort of the loosening up of the restrictions so that people can be getting out and about um, a bit more is, is, is going to be really welcomed. Um, some of the things is, you know, as, as we were talking about, sort of actually sort of having the services to support people to be dealing with mental health issues because we know that um, LGBTIQ plus people are much more likely to, to struggle their, with their mental well-being. And particularly sort of, um, I've, you know, had been keeping in touch with um, um, Switchboard, for example, mm-hmm. uh, who are, you know, doing such great work both with the, the Q Life phone service but they're out and about community visitor scheme and how they've been adjusting that so to be keeping in in touch with very vulnerable and often very isolated older um, LGBTIQ plus people and supporting their work is is incredibly important and I've been sort of doing some advocating on on their behalf to Mm. trying to get more resources um, from the federal government to be supporting switchboards work. Um, yeah, and then and then it's the basics. I mean, we also know that you know LGBTIQ plus people are twice as likely to be at risk of homelessness. Mm. And so, with homelessness under COVID, you know, it's, we seems to have because of all of the empty hotels in the <laughs> in the state, um, a lot of mm. homeless people have been able to be housed. We should not go back to having sort of people being at risk of homelessness. It's just um, an incredible indictment on our society and an indication of how unequal it still is. Mm. That people don't have what is a human right to have a roof over their head, and the you know the waiting lists for public housing is are just extraordinarily awful. The fact that for people who are on a waiting list for public housing, you know the likelihood is they're going to have to wait you know ten, fifteen, twenty years before they can um, find a public housing unit. It's exactly it's it's just so wrong. Mm. It's just a matter of our priorities, and so. You know, we can afford to, and we must afford to, um, invest in in public housing at the level that's required. Um, but both state and federal governments, and both Labor and Liberal governments alike, have just been unwilling to do that, and you know, they've been sell- selling off public housing to to private ownership and only mm. having tiny increases. You know, we are meant to celebrate when we hear that there's going to be another new, you know, a hundred new public housing units, which is just a tiny a drop in the ocean. Um, which is why you know, our Greens package is saying, well, let's bite the bullet. Let's you know commit ourselves to be building the level of social and community housing mm. that's needed, which is you know of the order of of half a million, five hundred thousand um, houses, in order to be dealing with our our housing crisis. That was Janet Rice, Green Senator for Victoria, speaking to me earlier today. That's it for us this week. I'd like to thank Nicholas Kamenu Sandry, Dee Mason, Emily Johnson, Jordan Johnstone, Rachel Tyler Jones, and everyone at the Community Radio Network for their production assistance and support. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts, and we'll be back on Monday. Mahalo.
Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.